Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fuel Radio. Uh, visiting with me today is Deb Crow, and it's uh, welcome to Fuel Radio, Deb. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to meet you. Yeah. I can't remember how you came up, but, but it was in the social stream somewhere. And I thought, oh, here, this looks like an interesting person. I'd love to talk to her. <laughs> and I, I think it was your mention of self-care and, uh, and habits of thinking that made me want to, mm -hmm. that created some curiosity and I wanted to talk to you some more. So thank you for being willing to join me today and talk about those things. Yeah, my pleasure. I'll give Deb just a quick introduction. She's a certified professional life coach and one of the first to be certified in Habit Finder Coach from Ogmandino Leadership Institute. Deb's specialty is coaching leaders, executives, and their teams. She just told me in our pre-conversation chat that uh, she just took 15 women through a uh, self-care course. It sounds really interesting, and we'll, we'll share more about that at the end. And I'm just going to skip through all of this stuff, and because I'm going to have her share on her own journey. But Deb's coaching passion is helping individuals prioritize their time and attention. And she says life is about progression, moving forward, and not attempting to have perfection. Um, yeah, so just as we begin, I, a question I love asking everybody is just about their upbringing. And if there was anything in your upbringing that influenced or impacted what you're doing today. Oh, absolutely. I think I think our upbringing and, and our overall life experience serves us greatly for the path that we land on as an adult. And uh, I had a very lonely childhood. I had an entrepreneurial dad and I had a mother who, in, in you know, back in the day, really struggled with mental health and they didn't know what it was back then. And absolutely affected me because you don't understand as a kid if nobody can frame or educate you on the unknown it's it's that hindsight later in life when you realize oh that's what it was because mm -hmm. depression and anxiety wasn't talked about you know when I was a little kid back in the 70s mm -hmm. so learned a lot from that um, I think I became the mother I wanted to have with my own children and I certainly think there's lots of lessons and the older you get and the more mature you get and the more education and just the time rod to pause and reflect and kind of learn. I like to call it growth from the valley. Every time we're in a valley, just stop and be and, and think, what am I supposed to learn here? So I would certainly say uh, my entrepreneurship came from my dad, 100%. And I lost my dad at age 21. That was hugely impactful because I was in university when he died. So I think it's a culmination of, of everything. And I had an Irish Nana who was fabulous. She's behind me on the shelf here. You can't see her because of the glare of the window, but she, she's always got my back. She was, she was very, very impactful. And I, I think that she instilled the, the core beliefs in, that I have to this day. She taught me about philanthropy and being a good person. And she's the one that instilled that you always value and enjoy the meaning of your work. And it's mm -hmm. always the people over profit. And I've carried that through my entrepreneurship for 30 years now. Yeah. Wow. What great life lessons. <laughs> mm -hmm. What did you learn as you came to terms with your mom having a, a, a mental illness? Like, what? <laughs> yeah. What did uh, you learn from that? 
I think her upbringing, which again, she didn't allude and share with us kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just don't think Rod, they had, they didn't have any coping skills back then. They didn't have a 1-800 line. It was easier to, you know, buy, buy a bottle of whatever and take the pills prescribed from the doctor. That's that was the 70s. I mean, we're coming Mm -hmm. off the 60s, which was quite the decade. Mm -hmm. And I think she didn't know what she didn't know. And uh, that's what I take for it now that I'm in my 50s. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just for me, I see the evolution of mental health to where we are today. And I'm happy that even as young, young children are struggling with mental health, we now have the infrastructure and the education and the research and the data available to help people. And it's not a label. It's something that life happens and we now have the tools and the strategy and the right things to help. And it's not just a prescription of pills anymore. That to me is, is growth. Um, it saddens me, you know, that that was, you know, my mom's life. But again, we don't know what we don't know. So I never really stayed long in that place. Emotionally, mm-hmm. I just kept educating myself. And mm-hmm. I think that's how we can get out underneath any type of problem is to continue to do our own due diligence and our own research to learn. Mm-hmm. And so how did you get into coaching? Well, there's always a story, right? Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I I finished school. I went to Brock and I was a disability case manager for 23 years. So I would look after people that got in car accidents or a workplace accident or perhaps be off on a short-term disability claim due to stress. Mm-hmm. So I kind of had the whole gamut. I looked after children right to elderly people. I look after, you know, tradespeople right to C-suite leaders. So mm-hmm. I really got to see it all and I just got burnt out. I was testifying in court for people that were catastrophically injured. And I just got tired of the heaviness of the lawyers and the insurance company. And I thought, I don't want to be a generalist anymore. I want to be a preventionist. I don't want to see people go off work on stress claims and then develop cancer and become palliative and lose their life because I saw many of those people. So it was kind of, I'm going to close this chapter of my business and what transferable skills do I have and what can I offer? And coaching was just a natural migration for me and moved into that nine years ago. And I love it because I'm on the other side of the curve, especially for executives that are on short-term disability claims Mm. because success comes with a price, stature comes with a price, and a lot of them have poor health. So now the people that want to climb, you know, the corporate ladder, let's do it with integration and self-care and tools and strategies. So when you get to where you want to get to, you don't lose your health, you don't lose your marriage, you don't have an estranged relationship with your kids, you don't have to be lonely. So I'm loving the transferable skills of the case management and my neuroscience background in the coaching that I do now. And like I said, it was just a natural migration for me nine years ago. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 it's funny that I'm, I'm working with the same population that I used to on the disability and injury side, but again, now in the prevention side, which is a much better place to be. Hmm. So as you made that shift, what was it like for you? Was there, uh, when you made the shift to coaching, what was it like to, to get started? It was 
I mean, it was fun. I'm, I'm all up for a challenge. Um, I had, I had an established network because I had already been in business for 21 years and contact with executives and all that. Well, I had contacts with executives and social media was, you know, really starting to be a different modality that we needed to adapt and use as entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And I just, I looked for a couple of years to find the right assessment, the right tools, because I think as a coach, it's really important to have an assessment. Mm. People deserve to have a baseline so that you have a place to start, you have a place to grow from. And then when you're done the coaching, you can see the shift. You can give them that return on investment because you can show them in the different areas where they've increased and where they've overcome some barriers or hurdles. Yeah. So, I mean, like any other uh, transition in business, it came with its struggles, its valleys. But, uh, you know, I'm a big proponent. You d- you get back up and tomorrow's a new day. <laughs> right on. Yeah, I love that idea of having an assessment. The last person I interviewed um, on Monday uh, was a nutritionist. And, uh, you know, the first thing she does is evaluate where people are at, you know, and and my dad, one of my one of my dad's favorite sayings. My dad's a boater, and he always says, "You know, in order the key to navigation is knowing where you are. You got to yeah. know where you are first, yeah, and then, you know, plot your path and and stick to the compass and that sort of thing. And then mm-hmm. eventually, you get to where you want to go. So yeah, that's a great that's a great point. Thank you for sharing that. Um, I always like to hear client stories. I love client stories. I uh, and I'm just wondering if you have of course, in, in, in anonymity or whatever, unless you have permission to share their name. But um, I love hearing client stories of transformation and change. And can you tell us about somebody that's really benefited from working with you? I would love to. And I, I can I can do it without, um, you know, giving, name, <laughs> giving names because I can't. Um, I think one of my proudest moments of when I was case managing, I'd love to give you a little bit of insight from both worlds if I could. Sure. I returned an incomplete quadriplegic to work. Wow. So this gentleman was very, very depressed. His wife had left him and his heart just could not bear the sorrow, the, the sadness. And he attempted to kill himself. Mm. And he tried to drive his truck off a cliff and he lived. Mm-hmm. And just to give you a visual, he was uh, he was a trucker. He loved to ride his Harley Davidson. He was, you know, leather coat, long hair, just a fun, fun man. Yeah. And when I came into his life, he said, you know, I really don't want you to help me. Like, I don't want to be here. And I said, well, I don't think it's your time. So long, long story short. So he's basically, um, so incomplete means from the nipple line down is paralysis. And then from the nipple line up, they have upper extremity function. Mm. So I said to him, you still have your voice. So I taught him how to use voice activated software. Okay. Got him into computers. He had never had a computer in his life. This is a, this is a truck driver. So big transference of skills And I contacted one of my physician friends who did some research and he was looking for a research assistant. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I have someone that you will make a big imprint in his life and challenge him. And 
they're still working together uh, to this day. Oh, wow. And 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 he jokes with me because anytime I'm at the hospital, I always pop in and see him. And he says, if you had told me that I'd land up working for a doctor in a research lab, you know, <laughs> using my voice to do all this research. So it's just yeah. funny where life takes you, right? Yeah. Um, Was there something that indicated to you that he would have like an affinity to that kind of thing to 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 research? I think he just needed somebody to believe in him and we had a, an amazing connection. And that's, mm. I think the biggest thing that I bring to when I case manage and when I coach, I, yeah. I have a deep connection with people. Uh, emotional intelligence, I mean, has long had a presence in my life before we talked about it. Mm. I love hearing people's stories. And my, my Nana taught me to be a good listener from when I was a young, young girl. She said, you have two ears for a reason, right? Yeah. So I just wanted to give him a challenge because I thought that's really what he needed in his life at the time. Mm. It was a good shift of his attention and his energy. But more importantly, even though he was an incomplete quadriplegic, I wanted to show him he was still purposeful. Yeah. And yeah, it was just a match made. I mean, some of it was a hunch. Some of it was an intuitive impression. And I just, I knew their personalities were going to align and mm. I knew the work would kind of unveil the way it was uh, expected to be because he went in as an internship and they kept him. Yeah. And uh, he lives on his own now. He drives. Uh, yeah. He got his favorite truck converted. So he drives with his hands. <laughs> and yeah, that's, he, he holds a special place in my heart. That was probably, I mean, I have tons of stories from yeah. when I case managed, but that's my favorite one. Yeah. And then in terms of coaching, again, I have many. Um, I think when you are able to shine the light on your client and allow them to see the greatness that you see and they don't, mm. that for me, I think is the greatest outcome as a coach. When you get to see someone really, finally realize how great they are because life hands us all different losses and experience and trauma and all those fun things that we don't plan for. Mm -hmm. But when you see the greatness in someone else and then you can bring it back to the surface, that is probably the most favorite part that I love about coaching next mm -hmm. to just listening and the stories and seeing the shift in how people react to things instead of being emotional, being logical and not taking things personally and just all the things that we do as human beings. I think that would probably be my my favorite scenario in the coaching world. Nice. Yeah, that must be incredible to you see something, you see someone's greatness and then Oh, through a process or a progression, right? <laughs> Over time, yeah. you, you begin to see that emerge. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so one of the things that caught my attention on your website, and I was telling you, uh, you know, I just had a conversation with someone recently and I just dawned on me that, you know, they were kind of stuck in the habit of thinking a certain way. <laughs> and we didn't necessarily discuss that during this conversation, but um, I'm just wondering if you could expound on that a little bit and just tell us about our habits of thinking and, and what, sure. what, yeah. Well, it's interesting because a lot of us middle-aged uh, folks, we grew up with the Myers-Briggs or the DISC profile, which is an awesome profile. Right. It measures, but it's, but it measures your personality. Yeah. 
-hmm. And our personality is really just memorized emotion on repeat, rinse and repeat. Mm -hmm. So habits of thinking can be measured with a different assessment. We we use the habit finder assessment developed by the Augmandito Leadership Institute. And it allows us to go one level deeper and measure behavior. So we all have three dimensions of thought. We think intrinsically, we think extrinsically, and we think systemically. So it's quite an interesting uh, time when I'm able to assess and tell you how you think, why you think, and maybe where episodically or remnants of something that had happened to you early in life. It could have been as a young child, a young adult. It could have been at a previous job. There's always a little bit of magic in that when you can connect with people and show them and they say, is that why I do that? Or Mm -hmm. Deb, you've just told me something I've only said in my head and I've never verbalized. Mm -hmm. Deductive science and data, it doesn't lie. So you capture in the moment what someone's thinking and I consider it a gift to be able to share that with them and show them that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people are hurting out there and mm-hmm. they were hurting before COVID-19. And to me, if you're not living a life of, of laughter and fun, it's, it's an open invitation for emotional distress, which leads to disease, which again, I used to see as a case manager. And mm-hmm. that's why I love being on the prevention side of things to help people get out of that habit of thinking and into a more positive, healthy habit of thinking. It doesn't mean you're not going to have a bad day. It just means you're going to deal with it in a better way. Mm -hmm. So what are some suggestions that you have for people to alter that? (laughs) Well, I mean, it's a combination of things, right? Because uh, I think a really big one that I see every day is a resistance to discipline and structure. Mm-hmm. If you've worked for someone or you've been an entrepreneur and then you're trying to get your side hustle going and it's not going and then you take a paid job, people don't like discipline and structure, especially when they have to report to someone. Mm-hmm. And if you're reporting to someone who you don't respect, that leads to a whole other kettle of fish. So yeah. here you are trying to make a living, but you're miserable when you really want to be over here doing what you're trying to do in your business. So I see, you know, I call it the hamster wheel. You just, you're that hamster on the wheel doing 10 things at once. Not one of them's getting done or serving you. And you don't feel like you're moving ahead. And and that affects people's moods. It affects how they carry out their life. It affects their relationships uh, with people, with money. And it's one that I see almost every single day. And I think the other one is comparison to other people. Like I always say to people, just stay in your lane and do what you do. Don't worry what Bob's doing or Susan's doing. Just do what you do. And and what they think of you doesn't matter because just Mm -hmm. stay focused on what you're doing. And that's, you know, if if everybody stopped worrying what other people thought, we'd live in such a different world, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. Discipline and structure and people's resistance to that. And uh, yeah, for sure. That's that's good stuff. Um, and then comparison is huge. Absolutely. Yeah. Good advice to to stay in your lane. <laughs> and then the other thing that caught my attention uh, on your website was was self-care. And you just did a had a uh, you have a course going that has to do with self-care. And yeah. um, it's, it's funny that, you know, like 
to be current, like COVID-19, I think self-care became a real issue. <laughs> People kind of, uh, they had the opportunity. It was like we had an opportunity for some greater self-care to maybe practice some new habits. Um, but if you look at social media, it seems like <laughs> a lot of people kind of self-care just went out the window and they kind of did, did the, did the opposite and went to the things to, that they do to medicate themselves. <laughs> um, so, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I'm happy that COVID-19 happened for many reasons. And I, I yeah. want to qualify that statement. Sure. I think everybody in general across the world I think everybody needed a little wake up call. I think we were doing and doing and doing and how much is enough and this isn't enough. And when do we stop to just pause and be? Mm -hmm. I've been talking about self-care since 2008. It's always been a proponent in my life. Mm -hmm. If we don't take an hour a day for ourselves out of 24 hours, that's like 4% of your day. Yeah. If you're not looking after you, how can you be a good son or daughter or spouse or parent or coworker or entrepreneur, whatever hat you wear? Mm -hmm. I see so many people that are burnt out, trying to keep up with the Joneses and worrying about this, that, so much uh, dependency on technology and the inability to unplug. So to see people home, having family dinners, making their own meals, making their own coffee, baking bread. To me, I've just sat back and watched this evolve since February. And it's almost like we've gone back to the 1950s and it's kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> it really is. I mean, yeah. fam family units are back together. Um, spouses that were maybe having a difficult time have no choice now to talk to each other and they're in front of their children. You have to model that behavior. So as much as I have been saddened by how this has unfolded, and I, I personally know four people who've passed away, mm. that saddens me. The, the global numbers at large sadden me. Yeah. But you know, out of tragedy and loss and trauma, and I think uh, a global level of conscious grief, I think we're all going to move through the grief and get to mourning. I think we've learned some good lessons. Mm -hmm. I think we've learned that, you know, we need to have savings for a rainy day. We need to have staples in our house and not wait for a pandemic to occur. You know, and I say it jokingly, but I look at what went on with cleaning supplies and flour and toilet paper. And yeah. I, I just thought to myself, I never thought I'd see this type of thing in my lifetime. Mm -hmm. And I have a 93 year old mother-in-law and she said, I never thought I'd see this. So anybody over a hundred, you know, they had the Spanish flu. So they remember that pandemic, but people in business and just regular citizens, yeah. we have no history. We have nothing to compare this to. So mm -hmm. we kind of bumped along, but what we really did was go back to the way we used to be, which mm -hmm. I just find fascinating. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when you're talking about pausing and being, you're, you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> why do you see, why do you, I mean, you just took some women through a self-care course. 
um, what's, what's the major resistance to why, why don't we, uh, pause and be like, I, I think, um, in, in most cases we need something like COVID-19 that reminds us to slow down. Sometimes it's a, a, a health crisis or uh, burnout, like you talked about yeah. before we, before we get the picture. But um, yeah. yeah, what, what resistance do you see to pausing and being? I think people have a lot of unmet expectations. I know for my generation, you know, we were to graduate grade 13, go to university, uh, work wherever for 30, 40 years, get the gold watch, you know, and in the meantime, get married and have kids. And our trajectory was very guided and very molded, which Mm -hmm. I did not follow at all. Mm -hmm. But we get so stuck as human beings that we have to do and do and do and prove and validate our self-worth that we don't pause. And I'm a yoga teacher. So for me, pausing is part of my daily routine in the morning. It's Mm -hmm. part of my self-care. My days unfold beautifully because I set the intention. My sankalpa in the morning is whoever I am to serve, they will be put on my path. So mm. when people say it's serendipitous that we met or, and I always say, no, it, it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I think, I think the resistance is people don't want to feel you gotta, when you, when you're pause, yeah. when you got to pause and be silent yeah. and feel yeah. that's pretty uncomfortable for a lot of people. And you know, it's easier because when you're busy, you yeah. don't have time to feel because you don't have time to think. Yeah. I know my practice is Centering Prayer, and uh, the author of Centering Prayer, Thomas Keating, said, you know, at, at f- there's stages of it. So at first, it's kind of beautiful. It's like, oh, you're, take, you're having a pause, and you're feeling the peace of it. And he just says, the longer you do it, um, you know, the mind and what you go through is almost like an unconscious sewer begins to <laughs> come up, right? And then, yeah. and then it becomes a practice of of dealing with your feelings, like you say, and, and, um, which is so critical, you know, I, I've done some recovery work too, and I'm convinced that, you know, one of the keys to addiction and not becoming addicted is learning to deal with your learning to deal with your feelings, you know? Yeah. Well, absolutely. Whether it's addiction or mental health, yeah, it's all encompassing. You can only hurt for so long and mm-hmm. then there's a breaking point. Yeah. And unless you've got support and tools and strategy in place, mm-hmm. there, there's only kind of one way to go. And yeah. the good news is, is I think we've got a lot of infrastructure in place. Like I said earlier, I think it's getting better. Mm-hmm. And, but most people, they don't like to lean in because, you know, it's raw. Yeah. It's raw. It takes work and it's, it's can be pain. There's kind of more pain that you have to go through yeah. in order to get through it. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's a matter of going through instead of around or avoiding. <laughs> yeah. Well, good stuff, Deb. Tell us just a little bit more about your, um, your course and your self habit, uh, or not your self habit, your self care course. So when I closed my clinic, um, I was going to have a woman's self care conference back in 2011 And I thought it's not the right time. So I waited till the fall of 2018 and I created the Women's Self-Care Conference. And we had our first one just north of Toronto and it sold out. It was an amazing day. And then last year I took it across Canada 
And then I brought it home to my home city in London, Ontario. Mm -hmm. And this year we were going to have it in the fall and we were doubling it. And we had, we had just amazing sponsors. Everything was just beautifully falling into place. And then COVID came and I had to make a hard decision uh, the second week of April and Mm -hmm. we had to cancel it. And a lot of the women that were attending sent me messages and they said we were really excited to attend again because they had been to previous ones. And I thought, how can I bring this vision online? So I created a course called How to Master Self-Care. And it's got all the different elements of self-care and there's videos and downloadable tools. And then I packaged it and I'm taking groups of women through it. And then I jump on every day and I do an hour of coaching with them. So we just did our first group last week and it was really, really fun. And again, it just... It unfolded so beautiful, Rod. It kind of exceeded my own expectations because we're our own worst enemy when we create something. So I was like, I hope they like it. And do I have enough content? And if anything, I probably have just a little bit too much in there because self-care and mastering self-care is what we're talking about. You got to lean in and do a little bit of self-auditing and you got to get real with yourself. There's no lying when you're alone and and digging deep and looking inward. And I truly believe that our outside replicates what's going on on the inside. And I came too far from that other that other 21 year stint of, of seeing people injured and sick and diseased and, and riddled with stress. Mm-hmm. And I share that with these women. And I just say, you know, like you had said a minute ago, let's get through this and learn the tools and strategies before you have a diagnosis. Yeah. yeah. Then, then I'm really being an educator, a coach and a preventionist as a whole. Mm-hmm. So really enjoying that and, and looking forward to seeing where it goes and going to continue to add to it as I grow and evolve. And I'm always creating different tools and strategies to help you know, busy people in their lives. And I just believe we all need to have self-care. My, my favorite tagline is self-care is not selfish. Mm, yeah. And it's probably a really powerful combination uh, to have the coursework and then to have you coach as well. So uh, it's fun for me because I get to catch them in those raw moments. Yeah. And there's a big group of us. Uh, It provides community and support. And maybe some of the women who wouldn't speak up, they kind of go, oh, me too. Uh And then they don't feel that alone or that isolation or feel like they're the only one who feels like that. So like I said, the sense of community that came out of this group of women was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. We're going to keep in touch and I'm just allowing it to be and evolve to what it's meant to be and how it's meant to serve. Cause I very much consider myself to be a servant leader and Mm -hmm. it's been a lot of fun. It was a lot of stress creating it. I will not lie. Um, Because I, if you had asked me six months ago, are you going to create an online course? I would have said, absolutely not, Rod. And and here I am. Yeah. And it just came out of request. So many women had asked and I thought, okay, I I just, I I needed to learn how to create the course and, and, and learn some of the extra technical proficiency that I didn't have. It wasn't about the content or the delivery. It was just, again, adapting as an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, that's great. I mean, I think a lot of businesses and a lot of business people were forced to adapt. You, you, I, I would imagine you'd been thinking for quite a while, uh, maybe someday I'll do an online course. And then all of a sudden it was like, okay, now I have to do this now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I've written some quotes down as we've been going along. And so I just wrote down self-care isn't selfish. Yeah. <laughs> maybe as we close, you could just expound on that just a little bit. I just think if everybody took a little bit of time for themselves every day and gave themselves the self-love that they give to their family, their friends, their partner, when you turn that inward, it really makes your life a peaceful place to be and to do it with love and grace and not have guilt mm -hmm. because we cannot pour from that that half empty cup, we have to be, we have to be whole, we have to be able to step forward and be our best self. And that doesn't mean you're going to be 100% every day. But at least if you're giving back to you, you're consistently replenishing your soul and who you need to be and who you need to show up as. And when you do that, it's just a great place to be. Excellent. So in our pre-conversation chat, you mentioned a couple of the resources that you're willing to share. Maybe you can tell us a little bit more about that. And I just want to say, if you want to find Deb, you can find her at um, debcrow.com. So it's D-E-B-C-R-O-W-E.com. And yeah, just if you have a resource or something to share with us, that would be wonderful. I have a uh, self-care toolkit uh, that I will send to you, Raj, and people can uh, download it. There's a self-care daily planner, mm -hmm. and it's just a planner that you can print off. It's not another book. It's not another journal. Women like it because they print uh, sheets off for the week on a Sunday night, and then each day it just allows you to be kind of comfortable, but also accountable to yourself. You're tracking your water, you're tracking your food, you're investing in yourself. And we work on that self-directed mindset. We work on having a daily uh, affirmation for oneself. And busy moms like it because they can throw it in the diaper bag, the purse, and, and carry on. And then I also have another fun document called the ABCs of self-care. And I'll also bundle my, my manifesto with that. And I will give you a coupon and a code for your viewers to get $25 off my How to Master Self-Care. Fantastic. So if you're watching this live or during the watch party, we won't necessarily have links to all of that yet, but we will when we when we remaster everything and and we'll have that on our website. And in the meantime, go to debcrow.com and and see some of those things. Those sound those sounds those sound wonderful. Thank you for making those available to to our listeners. My and pleasure. thank you for joining us today. You you mentioned earlier, you know that things don't happen by mistake and I just as you're as you're talking today, I'm just thinking I, I'm so on the same page as you. And I really appreciate the things that you that you shared today. I feel like there was a lot of uh, synchronicity and <laughs> and shared values and beliefs that 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 you brought up today. So it's always well, nice when that happens. <laughs> thank you for having me. And, you know, the, this is the beauty of social media and, and connecting with you on LinkedIn. And, and thank you for the invitation to be on your show. And uh, it was lovely to spend time with you. Excellent. Thanks.